Hello, and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kelly. And we've made it to the end of season five. Here we are. In this episode, we're discussing Skin of the Sea by Natasha Bowen. In the novel, Simidele has been transformed into a mamiwata, a.k.a. a mer person, by the Orisha Yamoja. Ta- and she is tasked with gathering souls of folks who have been trafficked, enslaved Africans who fall, jump, or are thrown into the sea. And chaos ensues when Simidele strays from the brief and rescues Adekola, or Kola for short, from drowning. There's a quest, a trickster figure, cool side characters, and the book is bursting with magic inspired by various African folklores, mythologies, and culture. So much packed into a shortish book. And um, obviously there's a content warning for, as you can hear by, you know, the synopsis of, yeah, violence against African folks, black bodies, and enslavement. It's talking, it's a fictionalization of when the Portuguese started the slave trade. So yeah, we'll be talking about that throughout the episode. Um, Initial reactions. This book was phenomenal and I'm so happy that we're ending the season with this book. I listened to the audiobook, which was um, narrated by Yatid Badaki, uh, which was so great because when Simi is reciting the prayers, I got to hear them how they were meant to sound. And the narrator did an amazing job carrying through the emotion of the story. And I was also obsessed with The Little Mermaid when I was a kid. So this I was always going to love this. Um, and I'm very excited to see the new Little Mermaid with a black Ariel. Um, so, yeah, I love this book. I'm very happy to read it. What were your thoughts? Yay. Oh my gosh. Yay. I really loved this book. And I'm also hearing you talk about listening, experiencing the audiobook. I'm totally jealous because <laughs> that, like, I did not get to experience the, like, all of the Yoruba, right? I think so, yeah. Um, language as it's meant to be experienced. So uh, that's more points in favor of the audiobook version for sure. To me, this is like quintessential young adult fantasy in the like the really good stuff that we've come to know throughout making the podcast, like a fierce and complicated main character. There's extensive world building. There's high stakes conflict, beautiful writing, a slow burn romance, question mark. Uh, and what I think um, or I think Bowen leverages one of the best things about fiction in general, which to me. In, in my opinion, which is like this defamiliarizing of like a, a quote unquote real period, whether, mm-hmm. the, you know, historical in nature and engaging in cultural criticism and speculation for a contemporary audience. And I think there's so many possibilities that open up when that's the approach that that people take. Yeah, 100 percent agree. Recommend if you like. Um, okay, so I put a, <laughs> a bunch of stuff on here. I think Children of Blood and Bone um, by Tomi Adeyemi, which lately I've been like, where's that third book at, man? Like, <laughs> For real? I've been wondering. What's going on? Um, anyways, I do think that there was talk about them making that into a movie like with Lucasfilms, which is pretty cool. I think if you like that book, you'll probably also really like this one. Like peak Black Panther vibes, like the first movie, not the second movie, Killmonger, mm-hmm. like all of those things, like made me really think about that i think born on the water by um nicole hannah jones 
and Renee Watson, I think. Um, I have the book like right here. Yeah, Nicole Hannah is pulling Jones. it off of her book cart. Yeah, <laughs> Renee Watson, and it's illustrated by Nicholas Smith. I'll just show this so Kelly can see like this beautiful cover. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love Nicholas Smith. But this book is a picture book, and it's from the 1619 Project, but it kind of talks about um, the enslavement of um, African peoples during the slave trade um, and that sort of thing. And I think if you're trying to, like, introduce that concept to a very young audience, thinking, like, ages, like, five to nine, that that would be a really good book. Super beautiful. Love that recommendation. Nice. Yes. And, like, I cry every time I read it, so I try not to read it too much, but it's really good it sounds like <laughs> i need to buy it and distribute it to my yes to my circles put it in all your little free libraries and then obviously the little mermaid like if you like the little mermaid this story is I'll nothing be. like that but <laughs> <laughs> this is not that but not hey. at all uh well actually kind of with the like if simi decides to like be with kala then she's gonna like die or whatever like that's kind of more in line with the um, the Grimm's fairy tale version where mm. she like turns into sea foam or whatever. Oh, okay. Yes. Br- you're bringing the, the knowledge. Say more. Do you know more? Nope. I I think I read it. Okay. Like, <laughs> I was just, I, this is ringing a bell when you're saying that. And then because she turns into sea foam or what foam on the sea or whatever, yeah. that's like the ultimatum. That's what's going to happen to her. Yeah. We are just, you're getting all the goods at the top. everyone. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I read the Grimm's fairy tale for like a children's literature class in like undergrad. And we did not read any popular fiction, which was just such a bummer. But uh, we read like a bunch of classics, which I was like, this is not that fun. <laughs> Cause they're also like, so macabre is it hans christian anderson oh yeah i think it is but like i yeah in the same vein right of yeah yeah oh my gosh okay well now you're it's ringing bells it's ringing bells yeah like i don't think like none of those stories i think end well yeah and so what does it say about like the disneyfication of it all you know like dissertations have been written yeah like i think in cinderella like the stepsisters get their eyes like clawed out or cut off their toes so that their shoes will fit in the glass slippers or something like they're really dark (laughs) and apparently toe shortening is a thing that people can do okay well that sounds painful but it does and it's not my not gonna be my choice that's for sure (laughs) anyway look at the we it has been a romp already i know (laughs) One that I added in that I've seen just circulating places and is also on my TBR is The Deep by River Solomon with David Diggs, William Huston, and Jonathan Snipes. Caveat, since I said it's on my TBR, I have yet to read it. But it has a similar premise to Skin of the Sea in that merfolk from folks who um, fell, jumped, yeah. w- went off of the ships. Nice. But there's like a whole society of merfolk. So it's a little different, right? But there's mermaids involved. Are there like different stories written or is it like one whole work of like one story written by this is a novella written by these written by River Solomon with the collaboration of these these three other people is what I understand. I only know who David Diggs is. Similar premise. It's from 2019. So, yeah, I love when the ideas are literally in the ether together. Yeah. Why did we choose this book? I don't remember. Possibly because we haven't had books with mermaids before. I also know that Cynthia gifted me 
of Cynthia's reading list gifted me a copy of the book. So I do have a physical copy. I should start giving books away on Instagram. Maybe I'll do that over the summer. Um, <laughs> but like the cover, like Black Mermaids, I mean, I think we were always going to be in for that. Uh, yes, it's a beautiful cover. It really is. As I was writing my notes, I looked up the the sequel, which is Soul of the Deep. And it has like a very mm-hmm. Ray Bearer cover vibe with like a gorgeous yeah. afro and mm-hmm. beautiful like black girl and yeah yeah so good time to talk about world building in through the wardrobe it seems like a lot of times with audiobooks we don't always get like the author's note at the end but this book did have a really good author's note that talks about the time period of the book and motivations and the book takes place uh, like you mentioned at the top around the time Portugal started kidnapping Africans to um, force into slavery was really set the scene for this book and I don't think I read any synopsis before starting this so I had no idea this was going to be the premise of the book but I think you understand what's going on without that author's note, but it was just really interesting to hear about like the author's motivation for writing the book and kind of talking about, you know, like that time period for maybe people who don't learn about it as much in like school, that kind of thing. Like we learn about slavery in the South, but I think probably not in the same way that maybe other places in the United States learn about it. Yeah. Fair point. Having gone to public school in Colorado, it I think there's probably a very different curriculum. Yeah. Yeah, even though there's definitely things to show around here that happened that were bad mm-hmm. that we need to not repeat. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I appreciate that's amazing that the, the audiobook had the author's note. Yay for actually unabridged audiobooks. Maybe it <laughs> needs to be a hashtag or something. We're going to take the publishing world by storm. Hashtag actually unabridged. Yeah, for real. <laughs> In, in the author's note, yeah, for like noobs like me slash like the poorly melanated. <laughs> Non-melanated. <Not> unmelanated. <laughs> A-melanated. Um, we could go on with our Latin prefixes, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, just like a, a tiny bit of an introduction or a pulling back of the curtain of all the different cultural syncretism that's going on mm-hmm. that the author is doing it's cool how she explains where some of these different like magical or folktale yeah. figures are coming from. I love that because it gives me, it adds onto my framework a little bit more and makes me a little bit less ignorant, yeah. which I always appreciate. <laughs> Something else that I feel like Bowen does an excellent job of is showing what the different regions are like through the characters. So throughout the book, Africa isn't painted as a place where everywhere is the same, but full of, a multitude of people and cultures which I thought was really interesting like I do think because it's like more situated in perhaps like our real world we get a little more of that than we might see in like children of blood and bone where there are different regions and different peoples but it's not set in our real world so it's kind of maybe a little more difficult to map that on to our real world in children of blood and bone that it is um, in skin of the sea but I really appreciated that and thought it was really cool to like see the different places and the languages and like cultures that are shown throughout the story completely cosine 100 million percent agree and i yeah i really want to highlight that point that you just made about like the nuance of oh the difference in setting thank you for waiting mm-hmm. for me i'll edit that po- massive pause of out course. anyway oh my gosh it's fine <laughs> yeah how the like so this would essentially be skin of the sea is more like historical fantasy is that a subgenre mm-hmm. like historical fiction yeah kind of like outlander fantasy. yes exactly because there are yeah. 
the historical part that is actually connected to the real world is very integral to the plot. Mm-hmm. And so is the like actual continent, the, like the actual geography of Earth, the planet that we know versus yeah. in the, <laughs> the Adeyemi's series. It's like a completely fictionalized world rendition. Yeah. But yeah, I thank you for bringing out that nuance. I think that's important. We also see Yinka. Um, she's like like this warrior, which r- reminded me of like the Dora Milaje, of course, from Black Panther. Um, <laughs> but Yinka braids Simi's hair into a map, which was a real thing enslaved folks did to map out their escape routes. Which it's it, so it was like such a small detail, and I think that mm, people lacking melanin might not <laughs> recognize. <laughs> Um, or know about but I just thought it was like really cool to like have these small details and I think this is something that authors from lots of different cultures do really well where they'll like put something in that someone outside the culture might not recognize as something that is part of their culture and just think it's part like people outside the culture will think it's just part of the book but people who are like from the in-group will like recognize that as like a touchstone of their culture like something that they'll understand so I like really appreciated that aspect um, of the story and I thought that was that was really cool because obviously we can't always pick up on those things like uh, like when we're reading like Hafsa Faisal like I'm not going to pick up on the things that maybe she's putting in that are her cultural touchstones right but to be able to pick up on them when you're from that culture is just really cool I felt like uh, I had a toe in the in-group because I did know this (laughs) I was like oh my god yes this is the best reference I love it yes yes the ingenuity is phenomenal yeah and just like the skill also of braiding period like wow yeah not something I know how to do but I am jealous of people who can do this especially on their own hair like that sounds very difficult and to do it with the accuracy required mm-hmm. to be able to navigate places is just like, yeah, oh my gosh, mind-boggling. Yes, agreed. The world building is almost kind of done in this dance between Simi's, Simi? Simi, yeah. Simi, okay. Current form as Mamiwata and her memories of when she was human, which she, at the beginning, can only access on land when she like returns to her human form on Yamoja's island. But we see this like shifting throughout the book as Simi spends more time on land and in her human form, like her memories of her past get stronger and the reader gains new insights as like her amnesia fades, essentially. I thought that this was very effective and I appreciated how it gave us like bursts of like almost camera like flashes yeah. or like like stills of or, or like little interludes, I guess, that that gave us even more of the um like actual African continent and how amazing it is. So yeah, I thought this was effective, this technique. Yeah. And such a like different way than what we, we normally, I feel like in YA fantasy see like the main character thrown into this new world where they don't understand anything. So we're like learning about it with them, but like Simi is already part of this world. That was not a little oh, mermaid. No. <laughs> oh my God. It could not be more perfect. Um, you're going to have to edit that out. We cannot, we don't have the money to co- use that copyrighted material. <laughs> um, <laughs> Disney will never know, but um, it was just like very different way to show, like show us the world and like the past, like where Simi came from um, in a way that wasn't just like, let's start from the beginning. Like here's everything you need to know and you're going to learn it along with the character, um, which can be like, I think sometimes a little boring. Yeah doing that so this was really interesting way to do that 
let's discuss all things magic. So Simi, our main main character, is a Mamiwata, um, or what we would call like a mermaid. Um, She blesses the souls of those enslaved folks who were either thrown from or jump from slave ships, which we kind of talked about at the beginning. It's just very different kind of magic, like almost like um, you think of like Hades taking people into the underworld or something like that, which was really cool. Mm, Yes, totally. And like a very like spiritual connection, Mm -hmm. like from the, from the get out from the like get go, because the, her purpose, our main character's purpose, which is like, we're yeah. Thrown into this. The, the main character knows what's going on, but the reader doesn't. Yeah. And yeah, it becomes very quickly what very clear, very quickly what the premise of the book is and where we're going to go, but, or, or where it starts. I guess it's not clear where we're going to go. There's so many twists and turns. And that's what, you know, another thing that I think the, the author does really well. It was almost like, um, I feel like when I read adult fantasy books, they really throw you in the deep end. Also not a pun, but like, um, they like just get going with the action. There's a name for that. Like when they just start with like in media race, is that it? Yep. Yep. Yes. In medias res. Yeah. And I feel like this kind of did that in a way that we don't really see in young adult books, but maybe is like a really interesting way to um, for teens in particular to get into fantasy books um, because like it kind of like ushers them into adult fantasy books which always are like almost always do this to us <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so it's also like a good stepping stone I think between like younger teen fantasy and then adult fantasy totally and science fiction does this like mm-hmm. what you're explaining you know and it's just like you just have to like hold on yeah. essentially until you <laughs> figure out what's going on you build the vocabulary yeah. that's getting used you understand the world and yeah it's it's definitely an engage it can be like a super engaging technique and also like alienating yeah no yeah did it definitely <laughs> Um, we have the Orisha or gods, which we've seen in other books based on African mythology. So I feel like as we read more books that take place on the African continent, I feel like we're getting like more familiar with the Orisha as we move along, like through the podcast, like from, <laughs> I think, episode two to now, we've seen them yep. come up a lot more. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. I learn something every single time, like how there's over 400 Orisha. I did not realize there were so many. Yes, pluralism. Yeah. Yes, I love it. It's like Greek mythology, you know, like how do you keep track mm-hmm. of them all? Hmm. I'm going to look into this later. And so many stories. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe I need to like, because, you know, there's books about too many probably books about like Norse mythology yeah. and Greek mythology and all that shit. And I'm like, oh, there's so many different mythologies. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I, you know, nothing. No. John's no. <laughs> Um, we also see black fairies, which was really cool. Um, I was a huge Peter Pan kid as a kid, and I know we're getting yes. a black Tinkerbell um, and Yara Shahidi coming up soon. So Ooh. just putting this out there, I'm loving it. Black magic for the win. Mm-hmm. For real. Yes, the Yum Boys. I loved them. Yeah, they're like small people who live in the forest and are like extra connected to the earth and like have knowledge of plant medicines medicines and like in the entire ecosystem they made an appearance in beasts of prey as well i remember them from from that recent recent one that we read yeah so very cool to start seeing i think we also kind of see this in like hafsa faisiel's what is that book called 
we free the stars yeah and we hunt the flame yes Thank that you. one like <laughs> i got it <laughs> or like um essay chakraborty where we were seeing like jinn and like other um yes. like from middle eastern mythology so it's like been really cool to see like these books from people from different backgrounds and cultures because i feel like we're like learning so much um just about like the storytelling aspects of different cultures which is really cool and about like also magical traditions mm-hmm. and mythical traditions from different cultures oh yes love it it's definitely been an education throughout <laughs> over the years over the years for sure yeah we have magical twins yeah, twins just like have like a sort of magical vibe. It seems like that's like kind of a pan cultural thing. Yeah. I don't know. No, I agree. Cola's younger siblings are Ibeji, which are quote from page 118 calls them twin gods, one soul in both bodies, orishas of glee and mischief as well as abundance. And we come to find out that the twins' presence is what makes the city of Oko proper- prosperous and there's a kidnapping, so we have to go rescue the babies, the babies. from Asu. <laughs> Yes. Um, we also see that Simi has some control over water animals, maybe not so much land animals. And I'm guessing this might come back up in like the second book. I think it's just a duology, um, which is also great. Loving more duologies. It's fine if it's not. Yes, but, please. You know, I don't need seven books. <laughs> now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good and evil in our segment, Get Me Kylo Ren. I feel like we have to like start with slavery. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which at the top. Yeah. I mean, I've, we've mentioned it a bunch of times, but it's the con it created the conditions that made the Mamiwata necessary in the first place. Um, because, uh, and you know, born in the water gets into this. We see it in black Panther, like this discussion about people who like jump from the slave ships of, rather than being enslaved. So, and obviously that's not all that are in the book. It's not all that Simi is doing is helping people who chose to jump from the ships. Um, but also those who are thrown from the ships. Um, but yeah, created the conditions and the reasons why we have these mermaids in this world. Yeah. And just piggybacking off that a little bit, the Oyinbo actually, or AKA the Europeans, AKA the poorly, the unmelanated, <laughs> AKA the colonizers, AKA white people. Yeah. The, the book talks about it actually like pulls apart and gets into like how they're inciting violence between various groups who are living on, in this case, as you mentioned before, the Western coast mm-hmm. of Africa or of uh, the African continent. Cause I just like, I feel like I have to distinguish because Africa is not a country. I know. Like, the I like even in conversation I'm like if someone brings up oh in Africa and I'm like okay but which where part? yeah yeah but where but where like, for real <laughs> exactly um but anyway I digress but it's an important digression yeah the because the as you were saying the conditions created like instilling or inciting violence and then there's more prisoners of war that are then like quote unquote sold mm-hmm. you know kidnapped and trafficked um into slavery as you said um but yeah slavery big the big bad yes yeah and issue is that's the name of like one of the he's a god trickster god kind of um which I, we're also seeing in a lot of cultures because we saw it when we um read the author rebecca rowan horse's book oh the lightning something you know that lightning book something lightning trail of lightning yes i don't know sorry <laughs> <laughs> i digress all i was gonna say is that we also see the trickster gods in like other mythologies um including indigenous mythologies wasn't it rebecca rowan horse 
Trail of Lightning, number one, Rebecca Roanhorse. Yes, we oh, did read this okay. book. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Trickster got that series is not finished, which I will point out. Diana, fan of the show and one of my besties, um, is upset that that series has not been finished yet. So Rebecca Roanhorse, if you're listening to this, please finish it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways issue is like a trickster god and he is not helping the humans are doing his job he's like supposed to carry messages to like the main the main god um and he's not doing that instead he's like trying to steal those twins to get their powers or whatever so some in the rings there's also magical rings that i forgot to mention oh yeah i forgot about the <laughs> there was a lot going there's on magical the objects too like the quest for the objects but they're also the people yes who happen to be with the objects but I don't know if they like. Yes, yeah, we need those twins. <laughs> exactly, they're ma- they're important. Magical twins. Yeah, you're right. Various various trickster um, figures. It's reminding me of like Hermes or Mercury, yeah. also from like Greek or Roman mythology. Oh, I think Coyote. That was the and trail. Yes, Coyote. That's it. <laughs> totally, totally. We're reading too and, many yeah, books, he, I think, maybe. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's. I mean, well, now we have, like, a backlog of 80, uh, a catalog of 83 yeah. to just, like, roll through to be like, okay, which book is this? Yeah. Not to mention, those. that's just for the podcast, not to mention all the, you know, other all things the other that books. We're, yeah. we're reading. So <laughs> I'm impressed by us, yes. even if it takes us a few seconds. We're impressive. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, the, so I guess kind of the behind issues, like, the, um, like the greed essentially for more power, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like that, that's kind of like, and the badness or he's, he feels like jilted. Mm-hmm. Like he's not getting enough credit yeah. for what he's supposed to be doing, like his job. But he's not doing <laughs> and, it. So why would he get credit for it? It's big so white man energy. I, <laughs> <laughs> for real. <laughs> so that, that kind of segues to my next point because what Isha is supposed to be doing is like protecting the world earth from the Ajogun who are on page 52 it says quote eight malevolent warlords intent on the ruination of life on earth I was thinking like horsemen of the apocalypse is kind of the vibes I was getting yeah but yeah this these people didn't really show up and I'm just curious if we might get more of that in the next book because the stakes seem like they're getting higher they're getting supernatural yeah they're getting divine you know what I mean yes well, we'll see. Soul of Deke came out in September 22, so... We are well behind. <laughs> we really... It, that has become more and more apparent as the seasons have gone on. What are you going to do? I mean, we can't read everything. <laughs> we have to be discerning and selective. That's what we have to do. Oh, yeah. Onward, magical friends. Just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. So I don't think oh, we're going back to slavery. That's just, I think that's just what's going on today. Um, <laughs> I don't think we can talk about power and bodies without talking about like the horrendous conditions that enslaved people suffered through on slave ships. And in that vein, um, some, when it was possible to do so, as we have mentioned before, made the decision to jump from the ships and drown rather than be enslaved, which is what Simi did and how she became a Mamiwata. And um, I guess technically, I think it's also what Kala did as well. Um, and she like saves him. Was he, did he jump off the ship? I, I don't know. It didn't make it clear. Or at least I can't remember okay. if he was thrown off or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So I don't think we can talk about it without talking, you know, like talk about this or, you know, the book without mentioning um, those conditions. And there's lots of things people can read if they want more detail about that. I am not going to read them, but, um, you know, I think it's good to educate yourself about what happened if you don't know um, about it. So lots of people you can turn to for that. I would recommend Catherine McKittrick's mathematics and black life which is kind of about archives but also um about um the archives that we have about the slave ships and also venus and two acts by sadia hartman which does the same um they are a bit graphic but i think also really important things to read so and they're also very dense but still still worth it i would say absolutely I was just taking notes as you're saying that to make sure to put that in the show notes for people if they want the references. Thank you. I agree with you that the it's you know important to educate. Yeah, try to not engage with or look away from or like dissociate from like history because mm-hmm. it's very much in the present and forming how you know we're interacting now in our relationships. Yeah, I think especially as a white like I'm saying this you know as especially as a white person. Yeah. So um. One time when I was at a conference, I was in Memphis, Tennessee, and we were right uh, close to the Civil Rights Museum, which is the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, where um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And they turned it into a museum with um, a lot of amazing exhibits. And um, one of the first ones, when you come into the the space and you, you go into, like, from the atrium or the, like, event space into this um, chronologically organized exhibit Mm -hmm. i guess about from 1619 to emancipation Mm -hmm. which is like the dates we can discuss or asterisk or whatever you know but the content of it is really important right when you walk in there's a two-scale representation of it's like a a bronze sculpture Mm -hmm. essentially of like how people were trafficked and packed tightly into ships so you like see the the real size of everything and there's space you know for you to either put yourself there or like imagine another person there right yeah and it's definitely like harrowing and also, you know, important, as I was saying before, to face this legacy of violence. And, you know, I don't know, would we call it like attempted genocide? Yeah. I mean, that was kind of, because it definitely failed. Yeah. I think from from my, you know, positionality as a white person who is like always benefiting from this construction that we now know as race, that definitely um, the enslavement of Africans is one of the the starting points for this construction of of race for sure yeah and i think it's also like really important to like talk about slavery like as you mentioned like seeing these like representations of how this happened because i think oftentimes in schools we like talk about slavery it happened it's over let's now talk about civil rights and so we like skip over this long period of time um there is a book called revolutionary time and it's for teens i would say like middle school to like to high school um there might be a review of it up on the instagram by the time this episode comes out because i already wrote it um but it kind of tells like the story of the black panthers which was really cool but it starts with like you know this started with slavery and enslavement of black people and then you know tracks the um history of the black panthers moving forward that kind of thing but i think it could be good to see like when we talk about civil rights that we have to like start with the enslavement of our people i think we can go back further um and this is something that i think born on the water does really well like which is a book for children but to show that like we 
black people were a group of people before we came here and like our history doesn't start with our enslavement um and i think that's also something that like a revolution in our time also does well um because oftentimes i think in the united states especially we always start with enslavement instead of starting with like you know these were people who had their own cultures and beliefs and like systems in place before we came here um and that has been like we don't have access to that in the way that other people do now um so yeah just all those things yes 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 we're gonna like <laughs> talk about less um depressing things for oh, a second whiplash <laughs> a little um olu dumari is like the supreme creator in this story and they are non-binary which was interesting it kind of like made me think of like dogma which you, i don't that's a really old movie, so maybe lots of our listeners have not seen Dogma. <laughs> is that the one with Matt Damon? Um, yeah, Matt Damon is in it. Um, like, um, what are those two guys called? Uh, you know, from Clerks, Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, Alan Rickman's in it. Alanis Morissette. Anyways, in that movie, Alanis Morissette is God. But anyways, it's just interesting to see like different groups depictions of like their supreme beings and um having a supreme being that is like non-binary i think makes sense so yeah yeah it does and then also it's interesting that like then we don't at least as far as i understood have non-binary incarnations of other orisha or like humans yeah so but but yeah Yay, we love non binary whenever it whenever it arrives. <laughs> I'm curious what you think about this point that I'm going to make. Um, I think that at certain points we can read Simi as being disabled in her human form, especially when she hasn't been able to like spend time in a body of water and return to her Mamiwata form. And she feels shame and guilt also about not being able to walk faster and keep up with the group, this like series of scenes um, where they're traveling to try to get to the island on page around page 228 and so Simi tries to like hide her pain and is suffering in silence rather than asking for you know accommodations or changes access needs that she has and Cola who's wonderful is is like tracking as in like keeping track of Simi and like witnessing her and her pain and through paying attention to her body mind is also reminding her that she can rest when she needs to this is kind of this this scene or series of um, scenes together were reminding me that like disablement is contextual, mm-hmm. like because Simi is definitely like has the upper hand, you know, when she's in the water compared to all of these humans who can only breathe air, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I definitely think so. Obviously, I think there are some folks in the disability community who also feel like maybe it's not always contextual, but in this case, definitely like. For Simi, and you know, kind of pointing out, like, you know, paying attention to the spoons that you have (laughs) um, for the day and letting people know when you can't do things at, you know, do something at what an able bodied person is able to do at 50% might not be what, you know, disabled body can do at 50%. It's just not always going to be the same. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Thank you for calling it. It's not not always contextual. Appreciate that (laughs) for sure. Okay, so finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. I mean, obviously, it's like Simi and Kala, but like, 
also like they love each other like simi is willing to give up like a lot for him and like just for like the world (laughs) her people yeah but we don't really like she leaves at the end she's Mm -hmm. like i made this promise to like save everyone and i gotta go so yeah i don't know slow burn it's like a slow boil (laughs) yeah and then nothing (laughs) yep the forbidden romance part is like that creates the tension you know but at the same time we don't get any resolution yet no yeah so i'm not disappointed because i obviously think we're gonna see kala in the next book or i assume so but um yeah, I'm interested to see what happens. I really like them together. I think they like mesh well. They're cute. I just wanted to happen. It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> it cute. It's cute. I brought a quote as I have as, as do. I do. As I do. <laughs> I love to reference the source material. Um, so there's a part on page 165 where Simi is eating food that um, Cola's mother made and is seeing the town where he grew up in, and she's like noticing this wave of melancholy as she calls it like coming over her and she's like trying not to feel her feelings but she's actually like really deep in her feelings and she says um i'll never have a family like cola yinka and femme i'll never feel love or be loved so like yeah as we've been talking about the forbidden romance thing and being a mommy wata versus like a human and so maybe romantic love isn't in the cards question mark you know obviously maybe that'll get sorted in the sequel but there's a lot of other kinds of love that like I know isn't the point of this particular passage. And she's also grieving, you know, a life that she, you know, imagined for herself essentially um, that didn't happen because of, you know, enslavement and like being kidnapped and shit. Yeah. I think that YA in general, this just kind of makes me think of young YA generally about like, because it's targeted to like an age range of people who might be experiencing romantic attraction for like the first times or like actually experimenting with acting on it for, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and have like just, yeah, less life experience. So like, I, I understand like the romantic attraction as like really being a motor for some of these like emotional journeys that the characters are on. And at the same time, I think YA when it's, it's another space where like you can be like yay platonic love and earth love and like ocean love and you know it seems like in this book also supernatural and higher power love if mm-hmm. that's your jam and it seems like Simi Dele does experience all of these other facets of love which I think is you know important for as like a whole person yeah 100% agree uh, so much it's funny trying to like think of YA books that don't have some kind of romantic aspect to them I'm like drawing a huge blank <laughs> lots away some of darcy little badgers i think oh because less... i think yeah the main characters in those books are ace maybe sounding familiar yeah i do have loveless by alice osman that i haven't read yet i do own it and i just learned that alice osman is asexual so um i'm interested to st- not that that means that there won't be romance there can also be romance um but alice osman who wrote heartstopper is both asexual and aromantic so very interested to read loveless and see their account of that experience um but yeah we just don't get a lot of ya without it like even the ones that are like quote-unquote written for boys have some aspect of romance and maybe in the like graphic novels like thinking of jerry craft's new kid which is more middle grade which i do think is where we do usually start to see more romantic 
um, love coming up in books, but that may be one of the few where there seems to be like no romance aspect. <laughs> it's about like friends and family and stuff. So yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, you know, thinking about like myself too, what makes me pick up a book or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I appreciate a ship, you know, yeah. to get on, you me know, too. and at the same time, calling on, calling, like looking at myself and being like, okay, but, and there's lots of other experiences. Yeah. Huh. And it doesn't actually limit maybe the genre in ways that we're not thinking about. Yeah. But it's hard because I love romance and I want it and everything. So I know like, me too. Fuck it, you know, <laughs> so like that, I'm going to choose the one with a romantic plot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a basic like, like, I love that. Let me tell you, though, like what pushes your boundaries is joining a book club because the book club books that we pick for the book club I'm in, shout out to Low Stakes Book Club, like the genres are all over the place and sometimes I do read a book without like much romance or it'll be like some small part of the book and I'm just like oh you know what that was still good (laughs) they're still good everyone (laughs) now we're going to talk about writing style narration characterization plot structure and basically whatever else comes to mind in kill your darlings so I couldn't I couldn't decide whether to put this in kill your darlings or real talk um but I already put something in real talk, so this is going to be here. (laughs) Um, So something I found very interesting um, as a person who was raised black Baptist and Catholic, um, (laughs) which I know doesn't sound right, but it is true. I have been baptized three times. Um, And now someone who would consider themselves agnostic. um, What was interesting was that the author had the like main quote unquote God person unaware of the atrocities that were happening to black folks during their enslavement. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates talks about this as well, um, like the difficulty and like the almost impossibility of believing in a God as a black person who has to contend with the fact that loving a God that would allow something like slavery to happen and not just slavery, but other genocides as well. So not just, you know, black folks um, just feels impossible. So this was like an interesting choice to me and like a real problem of evil example within the book and so much as like, mm, then if like the God is all loving, but not all powerful or not omniscient. So like, this was very interesting to me as someone who also likes philosophy stuff, but also someone who, you know, is a black person and kind of has to contend with or was part of like these black traditions that are steeped in Christianity. Um, But then like growing up as an adult person, um, and this is obviously not the case for lots of people, just like, the feeling of like impossibility surrounding that and how like to me I'm like how 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 do you believe in someone who is like all loving all powerful all knowing that let something like that happen so yeah and I think this is something that you hear about like as a struggle of belief with other um, religions as well like I have heard this also from like um, people from the Jewish community um, because of the holocaust and you know like kind of trying to deal with like the things that you know, a a quote unquote God would let happen and how terrible they are. So anyways, this was just really interesting to me. got me thinking about Ta-Nehisi Coates, who I love. Um, So yeah, I don't know if it's real talk. I don't know if it's kill your darlings, but it's something. (laughs) It's, it's both. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Both and the, so the problem of evil that you're referencing is this is like a philosophical yeah. concept, right? Can yeah. you say a little bit more about that? Well, okay. Let me see if I can remember it. Um, Cause my husband and I had these like talks about it anyways. Um, but like, it's like this idea that like God cannot be all knowing 
and all powerful. Um, and then like whether or not and like all good, right? And all good. Yes. All three it's like of those. those three. Yeah. It's not possible. Uh, <laughs> because then like all knowing and all powerful, but all good. Then why do bad things happen? So you kind of have to like give up one of those things. Um, or like, are things good because God said they're good or does God only do good things? So like, it's, it's like very complicated. And these are the kinds of conversations that are happening in my household on a daily basis, which is just like <laughs> ridiculous. <The deep> <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when the philosophers get together. Yeah. So anyways, um, it, it's, it's interesting and I'm sure you know what, let me, I'll find it. I bet there is a crash course on the problem of, um, evil, uh, <laughs> and I'll send it to Kelly so that they can put it in the show notes <laughs> that will probably better explain it than I ever can. But anyways, it was just really interesting to me. Um, and like I say this knowing that lots of black folks, um, have religious beliefs and that is totally fine. Um, but it's not for me. <laughs> Yeah, Simi is like definitely asking these questions and grappling with this. I, I appreciate how we can see it in the exposition about mm -hmm. like, this is as early as page 15. Like, why do we not smash the ships to pieces? Why do we not drag yeah. down all those who sail them to the black parts of the sea? Yeah, it's definitely talking about like free will, like the, and non-intervention too. Yeah. So the, the book, I appreciate how like Natasha Bowen isn't like shying away from and is actually getting into and being like, okay, so the guy, like, Oludumare doesn't know what's going yeah. on because Asu isn't telling them what's going on. Yeah. And yeah, like the, the book is definitely like trying to square the circle. Yeah. Which is also funny to me because like something that never made sense to me as like, like I probably spent like 17 ish years going to church. Like how can God be like all knowing, like knows everything, but also we have free will. Like that just doesn't make sense to me. Like how could they know something if they didn't, like if I get to decide what to do, like that just, like, even that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> like anyways, this doesn't really matter for this book, but you know, that's, those are just some of the questions that sometimes you have. Hopefully I'm not causing an existential crisis for anyone. <laughs> But always a good to examine our beliefs, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't believe I almost forgot to put this in the notes, but I said I uh, did research for the everyone's, and I watched that Mer People show that just came out on Netflix. Excuse me. Yes, there's a so it's like a docu series about people who do mermaiding. Oh. <laughs> 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 it's I think four episodes I think they're 48 minutes long or something but like yeah the professional world of like underwater performance and how like a silicone mermaid tail costs five thousand dollars <gasps> and is like airbrushed and like sculpted by an artist and <sighs> like holding your breath and training underwater and being part of a performance group and auditioning and like mermaid culture there's so many puns Jesse oh my god you I'm not you surprised would, like like they say shallow Oh no. <laughs> and things are like fantastic and mermazing. No, thank and you. I will not like... be watching this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, it was fascinating. So if like look into a sub slash counterculture is your jam, those sort of docuseries, it's it is enlightening, that's for sure. And right. um, there's definitely a lot of artistry to be able to perform like that. And it's like a totally a kind of like escapism. The psychology is fascinating because like they're talking about like what it means. And it's very much like a, 
group of misfit toys sort of yeah. like you know it's the the queers and the strange pe- outsiders the yeah. peripheral folks like finding each other because they like love this thing they have conventions and there's a whole cruise about it and yeah it was Wild. so i i was like i did research for this show by watching for the <laughs> for the episode by by uh watching the show not that it really has anything to do with the premise but no not at all but i guess mermaids I mean, you gotta have some strong lungs i guess <laughs> yes definitely definitely and just like the the fact that like this idea of like mer people is kind of shows up in all sorts of mythologies and mm-hmm. folklores and just like the connection that humans have with the water and the like dream of being able to like be powerful in yeah. that different arena you know it's just like kind of dare i say universal okay i was like where's the pun <laughs> no 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 i wouldn't do that to you except i do regularly sorry it's fine. Um, also, uh, I didn't put this in the show notes, but I was just thinking about it now all of a sudden as you were talking about those mer people. <laughs> <laughs> but very interesting choice by Natasha Bowen to, you know, have these black mermaids because there is, mm, I don't know if people know this, but uh, there's this like, what is it called? What is that word thing? Oh, uh, stere- oh stereotype. I'm like losing my words today. There's like a stereotype about black people not being able to swim. So I just uh, also... <laughs> Maybe this goes in Kill Your Darlings. I don't know, but uh, very interesting because, like, obviously, Simi is black and so are, you know, the other uh, Mami Watas. Um, so that mm-hmm. was kind of cool. Uh, breaking out stereotypes. Black people can swim. I can swim. Not very well, but, like, I'm not going to die in a pool. So <laughs> I just thought I should mention it. <laughs> Before we end, it's time for Real Talk. Did reading this book make your perspective change in any way, or did it make you interrogate a concept system or trend that you hadn't before? This also could have gone and kill your darlings. So what does it mean that we African-Americans were born on the water? It comes up in the book by Renee Watson and Nicole Hannah-Jones, and it kind of comes up in this book in so much as that, like, Simi is like reborn on the water um Mm -hmm. but kind of like this idea that like black folks in the united states african-americans um like our beginnings as african-americans started on these um slave ships and so it's just like something that i think has come up a lot recently or that i've been hearing like in the black communities um we see it in black panther Um, as well Um, so I just I don't know something about that phrase is just very interesting to me as someone who is part you know like I'm half black so I know where the white half of my family comes from but I had I did like 23 of me to find out where like the rest of my family came from but to think that like this journey started as like a crossing of the Atlantic Ocean uh, one that like my family did not decide to make it's just like a very different thing and so like we talk about being like African-Americans and like our culture, um, even like being born on the water because like, you know, groups of so many different people from the African continent were brought here unwillingly. Um, so it's just like an interesting thing that we say that I like appreciated and like appreciated this mm, different way of thinking about it in this book. Absolutely. I brought, um, fractals, today which maybe you're laughing laughing because it's not surprising at all but yeah it's not (laughs) 
just like the magic of the everyday and how like a flower is shaped you know and like the conch shell like the shell spirals and like all of the galaxy to the galaxy spirals and it's just like yes amazing all the way down fractals all the way down and um (laughs) something that bowen talks about in the author's note is that there's you know evidence for Mm. how various societies on the african continent had knowledge of the concept of infinity and repeating patterns way before any colonizers showed up so yeah i think it's just important to end on the excellence note and the knowledge note yes and uh, yeah yeah just love it i love how this showed up in the book and and it really yeah makes me think about the the magic of the everyday yay of course i didn't get out the card question so one second go ahead We're really bringing in a, a long last episode. <laughs> You're getting, yeah, it really is. We're almost 55 minutes here. I know. I hope y'all are happy. Unedited. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, I'm so, Okay. This question says, what did you like about this book? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything. Like. We just spent an hour talking about all the things we loved about this book. Exactly. What was the turning point of the story? Oh, I think when Simi like went down into the, you know, she went and talked to that deep sea god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, because obviously I'm like, some shit's going on and we don't know what's going on yet. And then it comes back up at the end and I was like, oh, okay. That magical felt contract. Like... What? It's a magical contract. <gasps> Ursula. Ursula. All right. Dang, oh. Little Mermaid came up more than I thought it would this episode. Wow. <laughs> Did the book ask whether it's right to follow your passions? Yes. Say more. <laughs> With the the whole will they, won't they, forbidden love ship. Yeah. And also, I think, yeah, like navigating between like a purpose that's given to you, like mm-hmm. being created for a reason. Yeah. And having your own, following your own passion, I guess. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Library Coven. This is the end of season five, so we'll be back not in two weeks. <laughs> in the meantime, you can, you know, find us on social media, mainly Instagram, uh, or email us. So on Instagram at the Library Coven, or you can email us at the Library Coven at gmail.com. Um, in the meantime, to listen to all the past episodes, you can subscribe to the Library Coven on the podcast app of your choice. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word because there are 84 plus episodes that you can listen to on the break. <laughs> um, if you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Bye.